0: Hi, I'm Lindsay Tauber of Help Around, and I'm happy to welcome you to a specialty patient podcast with your host, Ishai Knobel.
1: And we are on the Help Around Patient Podcast, and today I am super excited to welcome Maureen Bala, all the way from the West Coast. Maureen, how are you?
0: Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Really happy to have you with us today. There's so much going on right now. I really want to hear what you uh, can do uh, with us. Um, and, um, and why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and um, and we'll jump right in.
0: Sure. Well, thank you for inviting me. And I'm going to ask your listeners to have some good natured patience with me because this is my very first podcast and I'm I'm ridiculously nervous, believe it or not. So hi, good morning. My name or good morning. It's morning where I am. I'm in Alameda, California. My name's Maureen Bala and I help biotech manufacturers help their patients get access to the medicines they need when they need them. Uh, I've been incredibly privileged. I most recently worked with immune therapeutics. Uh, Prior to that, I had stints with both Amgen and Genentech, uh, leading patient support services. Um, And I never, ever, ever thought I'd end up working in pharma. I spent 10 years working in hospitals with patients. I've done everything from being medical assistant to administrative director. Uh, but I'm very proud to work in this industry. I see the good that manufacturers do every day on behalf of patients. And very recently, I set up my own shingle. I'm an independent consultant. I have my own practice, Galway Group Life Sciences Consulting.
1: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, and And you have been keeping a very close watch on what's been going on in the past couple of months. So we're now in the middle of January, 2021, uh, starting the year that hopefully will uh, bring us all together physically after a crazy last year. But um, the the environment of specialty patient affordability has been shifting quite a bit, and a lot of moving pieces over the past couple of months. With with announcements from from uh, from payers, announcement from United, uh, announcements from from all directions so so what what should the brand managers be really aware of right now in regards to this shift in uh, in the affordability environment uh when it comes to launching their drugs
0: well i think towards the end of last year right so access marketing leaders um we keeping a close eye on a potential cms ruling regarding copay or manufacturer support Uh, being used in calculations for uh, government best pricing. Um, And furthermore, and kind of thinking about how do we pivot? How do we make sure that patients still have access to the medications they need? But does the channel by which we offer out-of-pocket support need to change? So for instance, go from a traditional copay card to a voucher card. Um, Basically CMS recently announced, you know, hold it. Not now, but maybe. Maybe in 2023. Um, for brand managers, so I'm just going to back up a little. When I think of patient support service programs, everything from HUB, EPA, field reimbursement managers, and copay, is that these programs are not intended to be promotional. They shouldn't be driving the clinical decision making process of the prescribers. Um, but so a lot of times these programs sit in access. Sometimes they do sit with the brand, but a lot of times they'll sit a, sit in an access division or a managed care division. Um, what I would ask, what I've learned from my really outstanding colleagues and what I'd ask future um, clients to consider from the brand perspective is really be able to articulate the patient experience you want your patients to have. And increasingly patient experience with, with cost, with their out-of-pocket costs impacts that, that tremendously. So as an example, your co- if, you, if your program, if your brand is offering a copay card um, support, the enrollment website shouldn't be an afterthought. <laughs> and I see this over and over again, big, beautiful brand website. And then it's like, oh yeah, there's like some vendor thing for Copay.
1: And then they because to it's to download not, a PDF or something.
0: Yeah, it's you got to download a PDF or, or, you know, and so think oh. about what is on a Copay enrollment website. You're asking patients to identify themselves you're maybe asking them to consent or authorize, to, you know, affirm a a HIPAA consent. Uh, That some of these, it depends, you know, on how savvy your patient population is. Those like, they actually read the questions. It doesn't just check, 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 check. And you're trying from, I would imagine as a brand manager, you're trying to establish trust. So if your copay enrollment website looks really sketchy Compared to the glossy brand website, and then, and, then,
1: and then as a patient, you get shipped out to some other website, and uh, like, hey, and like, it's
0: what? not a, it's not a trust building experience, oh. um, and I, so I just would strongly encourage anybody who works in access, you know get on the radar of your brand leadership of your marketing leadership, be really clear on what their POA is. And also to be brass tacks about it, like talk to the agency, make sure you're getting the latest versions of the logo, the look, feel, Um, these are expensive assets to develop. They're going to have to go through uh, an MRL review process like everything else. And, um, I think especially when you're launching a new product like copay may not seem like the sexiest thing but if you have a successful therapy that's going to be your most visited webpage in 18 months
1: right so so that little program that may or may not be that substantial in terms of dollar it, it can be sometimes but sometimes you, you know you're not sure that place is your hook for patients
0: Yeah, the most, in my experience, the most expensive, so I wanna be very clear, copay support programs um, are expensive when you, and they're critical to brand margin, right? They directly impact your gross to net. Um, I have, um, when we did our little pre-conversation I told you about, I was working on a launch for a a copay program. And I had fantastic partners, but I remember when I went to the brand Strat lead and, you know, you had to socialize your SOW and your contracts before having like somebody, you know, somebody at the C-suite sign off on it. And he very sweetly swung by my desk and he said, "Um, Maureen, you got to check your math on this. And he was (laughs) grinning from ear to ear. And he's like, "I, I think your zeros are off. And I remember just being floored and I was looking, I'm like, oh no. (laughs) if your forecast is right we're not off and it was like oh and then all of a sudden i got invited to different meetings
1: (laughs) so so, so why is that why do you think you know brand managers sometimes you know maybe just busy with the rest of the program but but there's so there's so much impact to the way it's delivered right to the patient there's so much more that can be done. It's such an important, pricey, uh, uh, you know, costly program, and the delivery. I mean, why, why do you get shipped out to another website to do that PDF form somewhere? Why is that? Why is this not intertwined into a very streamlined onboarding? Um, and and are we just too busy with uh, tracking? You know, Adam Fine blog about. About how uh, what we allow and who we're not allowed to do from a CMS point of view, like wh- where are we getting lost? I,
0: well, I think I think some of it is is frankly that generally the copay card program administrators often host these sites, right, and and they may own you know, based on manufacturer direction, obviously, the the site logic, right? The yes, no, the eligibility question, questions, logic and criteria. Um, some of it comes down to dollars, like, you know, who's paying for this website? And does brand have margin, you know, does brand have the dollars to cover the development? Um, so I, I don't think it's for lack of good intentions. I just think it some of it has to do with the craziness with the with drug launches and where prioritization is. If you're not getting scripts, you don't have to worry about copay. <laughs> right?
1: That's
0: right. So, right. So I I there are multiple factors. I think also um what may not be obvious, unless you've done this a couple of times, and I've let me be clear, I've worked with some brand managers who knew who knew the business better than who knew Kobe business better than I did. Um, but if it's new, and if let's say your first launch leading a, a brand, is the scrutiny that these programs encounter and how much time you're going to be spending, not just in your MRL review process for the collateral or the customer facing assets, but actually sitting down with legal and finance to making sure everything is buttoned up. And sometimes these discussions require conversations with the outside counsel and all of that takes time.
1: Right, and then, and then, so, so, and then you know, the delivery of the program is really left to be some of an, kind of an afterthought
0: um,
1: I, it's to be built.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, and then what happens is you did bring up Adam fine. And I freely admit, I've got like a mad nerdy girl crush on him. So I'm happy to discuss out of pocket <laughs> costs additionally, but I just want to finish my, my thoughts on, on brand, um, collaborating with your brand partners is then what happens is, you know, fast forward, you're at a national sales meeting right? Or you're at the launch meeting. And um, it, let's say you have a traditional commercial field force. And by that, I mean that they, they're really not touching access other than what's covered in the bullet points in their CVA. But reps love copay. They do. They want to understand it. They want to know it um I walk in a room and people are like "Uh uh-huh oh patients! oh that's nice she works with patients and then and then you'll hear she leads copay and all of a sudden I'm I'm you know (laughs) people are like come sit with us right right. at the round table yeah
1: Yeah.
0: and the reason is uh your folks in your fit in the field for the most part they get it like they understand, they get it. Dollars drive decisions for patients, for most people. And they hear it from prescribers, whether they're able to walk in an office or they're doing it via Zoom these days. If they're hearing from the HCP, listen, it's, it's great. I love I love the data, but the truth is, I my patient population looks like X, our local plan is Y. And I've got patients who can't handle 250 out of pocket every month. Like, that's real. And, that's right. um, and so your reps, there's always this weird tension between home office and field uh, teams, or often there can be. But I'm going to tell you, the re- reps are worth their weight in gold, not only for obviously what their scope, right, their mission or accountability, but talk about feet on the street. They give me good intel all the time.
1: So what's what's the dynamic there uh, that you hear, you know, that you've heard from the field in terms of, um, you know, how to structure the copay program? And I know it really depends on the therapy that you're going after, but from a patient experience point of view, right? The patient sits at the doctor's office right. and, and the doctor is trying to prescribe something that the patient can actually afford. All
0: right. Well... Hopefully, that's not entirely what drives the prescriber decision to treat. Hopefully, it's based on clinical efficacy and outcomes. Um, But I think what, when you think about the patient onboarding, so for a specialty product, most often what your patient needs is to have a conversation with the SP once, right, as part of their onboarding. They provide the SP with their copay card number, and then the SP keeps it on file. So in terms of, uh, and I'm talking about a traditional copay card program, you don't need like a nice shiny laminated card. Patient's not gonna use it. They don't have to pull it out every time. This isn't retail. Uh, Things that are helpful to patients, but you know, are gonna challenge your organization's legal and compliance folks are things like, can you have a portal where the SPs enroll patients over the phone? As part of that onboarding experience saying oh they see they have their own internal business rules logic it looks like yep. the patient's out-of-pocket cost after coverage is going to be i don't know more than 25 dollars oh your out-of-pocket cost will be 25 dollars with your insurance or let's say it's 250 for this case let's say it's 250 did you know that manufacturer of drug x offers a copay program if you don't mind answering a few questions over the line I can enroll you if you qualify it will knock down your uh, monthly cost to x dollars and really easy peasy
1: right is that, right. Is that is a, a, when you're launching a brand and you have you know in your network you're going to have five six seven ten different sps and each sp has a different owner and many, many of them are pbm owned um, you know, are you nervous at all about putting that process in the hands of uh, of the SP?
0: Of, you know, of course, and it you know it depends how big your network is. Do you have a limited network? Um, do, a, you know, we haven't even touched. Like, are these patients are being channeled through a mandatory hub? Right. In which case, there may be opportunity there if everybody has to go on through the hub talk to your legal department and see if there's any uh, appetite for uh, identifying those patients who are commercially insured have coverage mm-hmm. could be eligible for copay and right do that at and, the
1: hub.
0: and yeah. do that at the hub um you know some manufacturers take the position that the hub is then acting as an agent of the manufacturer and that gets a little spicy for them yep. others are like hey this is driven by the patient's insurance coverage um, they are being asked to validate or confirm their opt in so why wouldn't we try to do that. Um, the you brought up PBMs it. That it's uh, da, 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 da. we should have this conversation in the evening when I can have. <laughs> a glass of wine to go with it <laughs> or actually to be honest it's a it's a, it's enough of a headache for me probably more likely a bowl of ice cream Yeah. yeah. so listen with the pbms I, I think i think many things i think debit cards are the most obvious solution because what you're trying to solve for right with this patient out-of-pocket cost is that the patient's desire or perceived need to be on the drug has to be greater than their reluctance to pay X dollars. So, I've I've had the privilege. I uh, in my hospital life, I I primarily worked in pediatrics, uh, and I uh, it was. I miss it, I miss it. You have real conversations, it's incredibly rewarding. I'm, I'm not a clinician by the way, um, but you talk to parents um, and I worked in specialty. So these were children who um, some of them had a, you know, acute, very serious or, or, or chronic conditions. And in speaking with the parents, these parents would move heaven and earth regardless of their income, regardless of socio-demographic status, they'll move heaven and earth to pay for their child's medications, right? So that's a special set of circumstances. Now, fast forward somebody else where it's like, well, it's my health. And example, I, you know, especially for silent diseases or silent conditions, you want me to pay how much for this blood thinner? Like you want me to pay how much for my ex? And their desire to be on drug has to be greater or their understanding of how the drug impacts their health uh, positively has to be greater than their out-of-pocket cost or their walk-away point is. That's what you're solving for in a copay program. Mm-hmm. So you either have to have a strategy where the patient's out-of-pocket cost is low enough, right? And that, but now you're getting into like playing the rebate in the contracting game yep. with the payers. Or you're looking at your patient support services. Uh, in the case of a, of copay, the patient walk away reimbursing them after the fact isn't helpful to the patient. If you don't have that 250 dollars for your share of cost up front,
1: you just don't have it.
0: You don't have it. Don't so have submitting it. receipts to a manufacturer copay support program isn't terribly helpful. Um, some folks can float it and they use it, but utilization of those programs typically in my experience is pretty low. Mm-hmm. But if they have the ability to use um, support at the time of dispense, at the time that the drug is being purchased, those patients are far more likely to be compliant and adherent to their therapy.
1: That's right. And that's why, and that's why I think you know it's so critical that you know, Accenture just uh, yesterday shared um, every five years, they share the status of patient services. And five years ago, they found that I think it was about 81% of patients weren't aware of patient support programs. They surveyed around 15,000 patients. Um, so at the time, again, 81% were not aware or 19% only were aware. And those who are aware really use them. Yeah. The This year... After five years, actually the percentages of awareness of awareness went down. So patients are even less aware of patient support programs. It went from nineteen percent awareness to sixteen percent awareness. So in a way, you you know you can give this put together this fancy program, but the patient needs to have that help at the moment that they're paying to the pharmacy, right? The, when they take well. their card.
0: Well, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, I'm probably not supposed to admit this, but I'm going to. I'm not familiar with the Accenture um, study you're citing. So I just want to be, for my own edification, I want to be clear. Was it that patient utilization of these programs is down, or patient awareness of these programs was down?
1: Well, I think the quote was patients are not even, are not aware of of the patient support program. Okay. So, utilization might be even lower, right? I'm aware. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The reason I asked for that is because those patients who are insured, let's say, by um, government based, government sponsored pl- plans. Um, frequently, are not able to participate. In fact, for for copay programs specifically, they're not able to participate in those programs. So um, it does not. Uh, and for folks who may not be aware, those kind of, the plans I'm referring to are, are things like Medicare, Medicaid, um, Tricare, DoD plans. They they don't participate in copay. Um, You know, I was not aware of patient support programs until I was working, um, managing uh, insurance and eligibility for a pediatric infusion center in oncology.
1: That's when you became aware of them.
0: Yeah. And we had six figure write-offs because when you think about it for peds uh, and onc, a lot of these are considered off-label use, so they're not covered by the plans, um, six, six look.
1: Right
0: yeah, the the beautiful thing about working in pediatrics is that the organization's threshold for financial risk is incre- is very high, right? Um, because they're kids.
1: Right. Right.
0: And and fortunately, most manufacturers do offer robust um, programs for you know for kids in oncology. Thank goodness.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I I wish we could you know. Apply that to many, many other therapeutic areas, but uh, it's a little, it's a little more challenging, I think, in uh, many other areas when we're not dealing with kids, it's not oncology. Uh, so, you know what? There's the desire by the patient, the desire by the yeah. the desire by the by the by the healthcare provider, uh, and all these are are quite yeah.
0: Well, uh, you haven't even touched. I mean, we haven't even really touched on those products, right? That are administered in a healthcare setting, right? So then you've got site of care and probably a buy and bill model, yeah. right? Or I say buy and bill modeled. When I refer to buy and bill, that's actually in my understanding is a is distribution uh, model. Oh, uh, specific, I'm talking about medical benefit products. Those products that have a medical benefit. Um, how do you offer patient out-of-pocket support for those? Um, and that's a, uh, there's really no seamless way to do it. Um, and that could be a topic for a whole other, uh, podcast.
1: It will be, it will be. It will
0: be. I'm sure now I know I'm going to get calls from vendor friends who work at the different vendors going, wait a minute. You didn't talk about my, our solution for (laughs) buy and bill settings. You're right. I didn't. I'm just.
1: So, so question. Um, Accenture just the other day, they they uh, released their uh, patient services survey that they typically do every five years, and one thing that they that really stuck out there was that you know even both the investment and the evidence outcome uh, have grown in patient services, um, when they compared it to five years ago, and there's a lot of value that patients get out of it, awareness and adoption of patient services did not improve at all. So out of 12,000 patients who were surveyed, only 16% of them were aware of any service. So why are manufacturers not spending more, more in getting the word out? And maybe there are, but just, but just some thoughts in the way.
0: You know, the the thought that immediately comes to mind is, it's in the data. So bear with me. What I mean by that is um, there is data, agnostic of vendors that you'll see, that patients who participate in support programs and specifically copay programs are more likely to stay on therapy and engage in the therapy as their provider prescribed it. The problem is is that's not easy data to capture because the patients who don't enroll in your copay program they're kind of lost unless you as an organization make an effort to reach out to them. Um, And there's some really exciting um, patient cooperatives now who are are happy um, to work with market research groups and explain like, what was that go, no go decision point in their patient journey. But I think if, you know, if I could stress anything to partners and brand to understand is that patients who participate in these programs are more likely to start and stay on therapy. If you're in a therapeutic area with a very attractive commercially insured patient population um, who, and you've got good formulary placement and the patient's out of pocket cost is low, you may have patients who are like, I don't I don't wanna opt into anything, I'll pay my $15 for my, for my fill, thank you very much. Um, I think when you encounter patients who maybe are on multiple therapies, who are juggling out-of-pocket costs um, for you know, up to a dozen medications a day, especially now, especially right in January where people haven't hit their annual deductibles, that's where there's an opportunity to reach those patients and, and help them, let them be aware of what's available to help them to start a therapy. If I could do anything, if you asked, um, we spoke before the end of the year, before Christmas, and if I could ask Santa for anything, it would be that every manufacturer (laughs) would be okay with uh, SMS texting opt-in for HIPAA consent and authorization to participate in these programs. Absolutely. Because that...
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I'm I'm not teeing that up for a sell for any vendor, right? (laughs) I don't but that i'm that is there often
1: not be some companies that offer that kind of option um, yeah you know.
0: but that more so than any single app right more so than a single website where they can sign across i i am a huge fan i think texting and regardless of patient age caregivers for pediatric patients but also the senior set you'd be surprised they are Willing, able, and happy to engage via text. Um, and as long as it's very clear messaging, these can be very successful interventions and ways to support patients the way they want to be communicated.
1: I think I totally agree with you. SMS is still king. Apps are kind of, eh, maybe for a subset of hugely engaged uh, patients like the caregivers of a child. Sure, they'll use whatever you give them. But if you, but SMS is still king. And the good news is that there are regulatory pathways communicated via SMS in a way that really reaches that goal. Um, SMS is not the black or white. There are, it's a, it, it's a sophisticated, a very sophisticated channel that uh, if used correctly, can be very powerful.
0: Well, I, I think frankly, it depends on the understanding um, and the threshold for risk within a manufacturer. I've worked on joint joint ventures where one manufacturer is okay <laughs> with consent captured via whatever channel and the other manufacturer is like, no, we want wet signature. We want it on a piece of paper. We want it faxed in, you know? So, um, but in terms, especially now in this COVID era, uh, n- and not everybody has access to a fax machine at home. Right?
1: Well, we were, um, starting, we're starting we are starting to think that we're gonna start raffling a fax machines among our listeners. I think uh that would that would go a long way.
0: Yeah, no, so that would be something. Um I'm not surprised that patients who engage in these programs appreciate them and see the value in it. Um, unfortunately, I'm also not surprised that they're not always aware that these programs exist. I know working in healthcare, I was pretty naive about it until until, like I said, I I was looking at huge write-offs and huge patient debt burden related to care. It it made me change my opinion of pharma. If you had told me 20 years ago I'd end up working in this industry, I'd be like, no, that's selling my soul to the devil. Uh, I'm very proud to work. I feel that, uh, I don't flatter myself. I'm not one of these amazing scientists who comes up with these therapies, but um, this is an industry where uh the good it does is just tremendous
1: well buy and bill is a hot area right now so we're definitely going to touch on this in uh in our next podcast and because you know for a patient going in and out the doctor has so much more on their shoulders and uh and liability there so we're going to touch on that on future podcasts but maureen i want to thank you so much for joining us today Um, no thank you i think you know do you want to how, how can people reach you? Reach you to ask for your advice, or maybe we should just keep you, you know, away from the crowd. No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> That's the best place for people to reach you, Maureen.
0: Oh no, folks, you know, I i am on LinkedIn, Maureen Bala. I can also be reached at maureen at gglifesciences.com. The name of my practice is Galway Group Life Sciences Consulting. We're we're online. Um, I'm not that hard to find. That's and awesome. no, thank you for the opportunity to talk. It's been a fun little uh, coffee break for me this morning. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> All right. Alrighty.
0: Thank you. Thanks Take too. care.
1: Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to the Specialty Patient Podcast. And for more information on Help Around, visit helparound.co.